Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Mal. I'm so excited about our guest today. I feel like the saucers are in for a treat. Will you tell us about her? Yes, we have the one and only Jen Allen Knuth on um, the Sauce Podcast. Some of you may or may not know her, so let's tell you a little bit about her. She actually worked for CEB and Challenger Sales for about 18 years, nearly 20 years. So for those that aren't in the sales world, don't worry. There's many things that Jen does, and this episode actually covers more about business and empowering women in business, truly. But she came from Challenger for about 20 years. Um, she went on to Lavender, which is kind of a new hot startup that helps. It's an AI startup that helps write emails, specifically sales emails. She has an incredible voice on LinkedIn, I think, especially for men and women, but especially for women. Um, she just talks all things business and a lot about sales. Um, and she also is starting her own demand gen. She's actually going to go off on her own and demand gen is going to be full of a lot of different things. Um, but most importantly, she's going to do speaking engagements as one thing. So if you listen today and you're interested, please reach out to her, give her a follow on LinkedIn and reach out. Um, maybe demand gen will be at your next uh, company event or group event or something. She's wonderful. But uh, Mal, maybe tell us, what did you take away from, this was your first time meeting her, I think. So tell us what you took this away. Was- Yep. This is my first time meeting her live. As you said, she's got a very large presence on on LinkedIn. And I know both, you know, both you and I spend some some time on LinkedIn connected to our careers and our networks. Um, I just love her kind of unapologetic authenticity. And this is pretty similar to all of the guests that we have had. If I think of, you know, Dini and Danielle Peritori and, you know, we just... I am very drawn to people who are so comfortable in their skin and really push themselves to be authentically who they are. And I just think Jen is such an incredible example of that. And and you will hear the conversation that we have is actually about kind of disagreeing and challenging and, and how to take conflict to um, maybe a new, you know, a new direction again for everyone, but especially for women. So I just loved all of her insights and I think her authenticity is inspirational. Yes. I was going to say <clears throat> exactly, well, not exactly that. That was good, Mom. But the authenticity that she really she really exudes but also pushes and speaks to, I thought was incredible. I met Jen, I did a webinar with her a couple of years ago. Um, so I only met her, I was in London and she was in the US. And then I met her in person at a conference. I was like, Jen, is that you? And she was just like one of my favorite people I've ever done some type of work engagement with. And um, she was just so, put me at ease. It was just so easy to talk to her. And I think the things that we, t- we talk about in today's episode are just important things that we don't always talk about. And I just feel like we had a good conversation and hearing Jen's angle and perspective was just great. And I I feel lucky that we got some time with her. And um, I, yeah, Saucers, I'm really excited for you to tune in and listen. I know. Well, with that, let's get you there. And there we go. go enjoy our combo with Jen. Thanks, Yay. Saucers. The Sauce Podcast. Empowering women everywhere. Jen Allen Knuth, it is wonderful to have you here on The Sauce today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be with you. Oh, we are excited. And we are just going to dive right in. So many of us know you with a robust, wonderful um, presence on LinkedIn with sales topics, all different business topics. So let's dive in today into 
constructive tension. So Jen, maybe we'll let you define it. Um, talk about what it means to you. And let's really dive in and we'll give we'll get down to some tips and examples of it. Great. Let's do it. So constructive tension actually came out of something I learned when I was at Challengers, so the company behind the Challenger sale methodology or the Challenger sale book. Um, and when I first learned it was probably 2009, 2010. And it was presented to me as a skill that really successful, high-performing sellers possess. And when I heard it, it completely freaked me out. Because for anyone that knows Challenger without getting into like too many details about it, it basically identified that there's these five different profiles of selling. The one that was least likely to be successful was someone called the relationship builder. And that mm. was exactly who I was. It's someone who's like super focused on being likable, someone who just wants to make everything super friendly and fun and all that stuff in the hopes that the personal relationship that you build makes someone want to buy or in kind of internal use cases, side with you on you know, a business decision. So I saw that and said, construction t constructive tension sounds so scary. And what it was, was basically the ability to make a situation feel a bit uncomfortable for the other party, because as human beings, we rarely act when we are comfortable. We act when we are uncomfortable. And so I looked at that and said, gosh, that's so different from how I've traditionally thought about selling or engaging with colleagues when I disagreed with them. And it opened my eyes to this idea that constructive tension works because it it really maps back to why we as humans decide to change. So high level, that's kind of what constructive tension is. I, it's, I find it so, so interesting. And I also have the same uh, reaction to, you know, the relationship seller. And, and, you know, I think to your point, this transcends beyond selling tactics. This is just kind of about like how to be successful um, generally. But yeah, you think that being kind and being nice and being likable is, you know, the, these people, because they like me and because I'm so kind and because I'm so warm and welcoming, they're they're going to do what I need them to do, or, or they're going to, you know, help me accomplish what I need to accomplish. And I, I think what you're saying, which I totally agree with, is that's not actually the case. That's not actually how it works. And I also think it's such a true and good reminder that people need to be uncomfortable to, to take action and to move and to change the course that they're on. 100%. And I mean, as I reflected on it, and I love the way that you you kind of built that out. Like I reflected on it. It wasn't just in my sales interactions. And and by the way, like this became glaringly obvious in 2008 when I was selling. And then all of a sudden, yes. all my friends at customers were like, sorry, we're breaking up. So I was like, gosh, it was a big slap in the face moment. But then to your point, like I started looking around and realizing there were a lot of situations where I would be sitting in an internal meeting and I would have a different point of view than was being shared. But I was so hesitant to share it because I didn't want someone to perceive me as a know-it-all or as a detractor or as someone that couldn't like jump on board. And so I would sit silently. Mm -hmm. I would watch these things play out poorly. And then I'd realize like – I'm not doing anybody a service, particularly myself, by shutting up and not speaking up with it. So it forced me to realize like I have to get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. And that's how I took that skill and said, let me see how it plays out internally. 
And I love that, Jen, because you have this incredible sales background. And our audience, the saucers, we have, you know, it's empowering women. And the saucers come from all different types of backgrounds, um, different careers, et cetera. Um, and I think what's very interesting is you learn this throughout your, you know, while in a sales process, the challenger sales, but it comes to life also in the real, in, in the workplace, probably also in your personal life too. But if we keep it to in the workplace, when you're sitting in meetings and new ideas are coming about, can we talk through examples of maybe what this constructive tension looked like when something would come up and Jen using you would sit there and be like, I'm going to stay silent to how you eventually migrated to, to having a voice and disagreeing and feeling confident and comfortable disagreeing, because I think this is so important for all of us and especially women um, as they sit and how they, you know, we want them to not to feel confident and comfortable coming across and disagreeing, not feeling they have to just sit and stay silent. Yes. So I'll take a, a classic one, which was yep. as a salesperson, obviously my enemy was marketing. No shade to marketing. Love marketing. <laughs> it's always marketing, right? The marketing was never doing enough for Jen. Um, and I started being pulled into these meetings where what I observed was it became what I think is very common, like a dog and cat fight where everybody was just pointing fingers and you're doing this wrong and you're not doing this right. And as a result, there was no progress that was being made. So essentially the problem that was at hand was like we weren't getting a ton of great leads. We were getting a lot of people who downloaded eBooks or watched a webinar. And there was a massive disagreement around whether that was a good thing or bad thing and whose fault was it we couldn't convert those. So I observed the conversation. I sat back, watched a lot of it and realized it like it is really difficult to get someone on your side when you are on offense and they are on defense. And it's a very common pattern that happens inside of businesses, particularly right now where everybody's kind of in self-preservation mode, right? Because it's like, yes. if you did this better, we wouldn't have this. And everybody's trying to save their own ass. So I watched this and I realized there's no way that I'm going to get ultimately what I want, which is better quality leads, if I kept pointing fingers. And so the way that I approached it and the way that I built constructive tension was I humanized it. So I said, okay. Forget about like what's happening here. Let's talk about when we go online as human beings, whether you're in marketing, sales, doesn't matter, and you download something because you're trying to learn about a subject. When you get the 16 follow-up emails from that sales rep who's now asking you to take a call, what does that feel like for you? It is impossible for someone to sit there and be like, it feels amazing. We love like, it because it's a universal that. truth. Like we, we yeah. hate it. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I humanized it and said, now let's reflect on the own leads that we have. So we've got this list pulled up here and 75% of them are from people that probably fell into that same use case. Like we shared something about discovery. They weren't looking to buy a sales methodology. They were just kind of looking to get smart on discovery. What do we think actually – is at hand there? Are they trying to buy or are they trying to learn? And I didn't force my opinion. I think one of the, the nuances mm. of this is asking questions that force someone to revisit their own beliefs and assumptions. And so then the conversation became this issue of like, okay, I see where you're coming from, but there's still people that could potentially be converted. And so once we got agreement that, hey, this the way that we're treating these people, these leads, is really unhuman – like once we got problem agreement, it allowed the group to move more easily into this motion of like, well, what could we do about it? And then we could explore solutions. And where we ended up realizing was like, we're not going to say they're not leads, but we can classify them differently. We can call some of them learners 
Some of them hand raisers. Hand raisers are people who are signing up for the webinars like, how do I buy a sales methodology? Learners are people that are signing up for the webinar that's like, how do I stop asking stupid questions in discovery? So we were able to get to a, a common point of view on the problem. We were able to arrive at a solution in something that had been like, I'm not kidding you, years of debates in our business. Simply by stepping back and saying, let me put someone in the uncomfortable situation of reflecting, how does this make me feel if I were on the receiving end of it? So that's like one mini example of, of many, many times where it wasn't about being the loudest voice in the room. It wasn't about shoving my opinion down someone's throat, but it was about creating this moment of universal understanding of like, this is uncomfortable and it sucks. One of the things that I think is so smart in the approach is you are taking away the direct kind of what could be perceived blame. You're the, 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 finger pointing is off the table. It's not about what they're doing wrong or what you're doing wrong. You're reframing it to your point of like, let's actually take ourselves out of this and think of another example that you and I don't have a direct involvement in. And I think that is uh, is usually disarming for people that they're yeah. no longer kind of under attack because that is, you know, I always think of like the, um, the like if you, if someone punches you in the leg or your arm you like tense up you're on the defense i mean why would someone punch you in the leg or the arm i don't know but <laughs> yes. you immediately lock up and you're like defensive right and this whole concept is how do we kind of bring the defenses down and be curious and try to you know understand that there could be a better way one thing I would say that has worked for me, um, and I would love to get both of your perspective on this, is is actually acknowledging whatever someone has shared. So telling them, like, I hear you and I, and I get your perspective and I understand why it is how you feel. But if you're open to it, I have an alternative viewpoint that I'd love to share. And you almost ask for the permission to disagree or to share a different perspective. Because usually when you're asking someone for permission to tell them or challenge them, they don't say no. They're like, of course, I'd love to hear. But if you if you just come in without preparing them that I'm going to offer an alternative viewpoint here, that's when you know the knee punch or the leg punch comes in and they're defensive. I feel like it's like you're kind of setting the agenda, Molly, that you're going to say, I have another viewpoint. And what it seems like to both things that you both are speaking about and kind of examples that you're talking to is it does take like more of the emotion and attachment out of it and actually gets to the issue at hand or gives an example to – it it gets down to what the actual problem is and it's not pointing blame on someone or saying somebody owns this. It's actually like where is the friction and how are we not moving things forward? Yes. One of the things, and and Molly, you said this in a way that I adore, that I was told by a mentor early on is if you are ever going to tell someone that they're wrong, tell them why they're right first. And that mm-hmm. always stuck with me, right? It's because if, if I just come for you and I'm like, your shirt's ugly, your immediate response is going to be to get really defensive about why my shirt's ugly or why you you have no sense of style or whatever. The, I mean, it's a stupid example. But like, so much, I think, of selling, of showing up in a way that's really positive internally and getting what you want is about the ability to put that that offense-defense dynamic totally out the window. So I love yeah. the way that you shared that. Yeah. 
And Jen, if people are listening and they're saying, oh, this is actually really good and taking a moment to go, I need to do this. Sometimes it's easier to grasp it. Examples for me help a lot, but sometimes like a framework. Um, do you have a framework on this that people could kind of, that you could explain to us? And if people are listening, would be able to maybe even write it down or understand what the framework could look like? Yes. And this is something, I actually just posted about this this week. This is something that was so core to me getting better at my job that I just like love talking about it. So thank you for opening the door for it. Um, so if you imagine an iceberg and you've got the top and the part that we can see out of the water and then you've got all the stuff below that we can't, think about the top of the iceberg being the behavior. Now, behavior could be your prospect, could be your boss, could be marketing, could be anybody, right? There is a behavior at hand. That behavior is dictated by the beliefs and assumptions that that person holds. So let's say I love cold calling. I freaking don't, but let's say I did, right? <laughs> yeah. I might love cold calling yes. because I had a lot of success with it at my last job. And so I have a belief system that cold calling is the best way to book meetings in the world. I am going to resist someone who comes to me and says cold emailing is the best way to book mm. meetings in the world because it contradicts my belief in that particular moment. My belief was formed as a result of my experience. So instead of trying to change someone's behavior by attacking their current behavior, the framework is figure out what are the beliefs and assumptions that that person likely, likely holds that holds them to that behavior. Hmm. And then instead of attacking the belief or the assumption, introduce new information that causes that person to step back and say, maybe that belief or assumption I'm holding is no longer valid. So it is not about being right. You can be right and still wrong. That's something else a great mentor said to me a long time ago in my career. But it is about give someone an enemy that isn't them. Like, hey, cold calling worked amazing for so long. And then this ugly little thing over here happened. So I'm curious, like, how have you responded to that? Right. And then you can make it. It's not that you suck at cold calling, taking this example probably way too far, but no, like but this other thing is the problem. And then that lowers the defenses. So if I think about the framework, long way of summarizing it, think about it as like, what is the behavior and what is the belief or the assumption? How do you think they formed it? And then what new piece of information could cause them to revisit that belief and assumption underneath it? So, Jen, could it be, um, Jen, I know that you're, you're cold calling, you're cold calling top of the charts. We can see the numbers. You are smiling and dialing. This is great. Um, and would you say something like we've recently seen that actually email, um, when you send 20 emails, we actually get a 90% email rate, especially when you add a PS to your emails. Um, if you cold call, yeah, but have you asked, think about adding this other thing in here? Is that a way that you could do it or... So or it's a, that's a great question. Place. And it's a total nuanced stance and there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. However, what I will say is I, I almost feel like that's introducing the solution before you've okay. introduced a disruption to the way they think. So one of the ways that I might think about it, and forgive me because this might suck because I'm doing it on the fly, is if I think about my connect rate or my meetings booked rate, it's often a numbers game, right? So I make a thousand dials and I book this, have this many conversations and I convert this many. Okay. One of the things I might do is oftentimes we as humans, when we become really accustomed to doing something a certain way, we stop thinking about what actually goes into it. So I might back them up and say, let's talk about like 
how long does it take you to make a thousand dials? Okay. And then when you actually get a customer on that phone call, um, how quickly can you gather relevant information to enter that with a point of view? And what makes that hard, right? And and really come out of it not as a point of view of like, you're wrong, but seeking to understand. And get curious. Ultimately, exactly. Ultimately hoping that that person now looks at the math a a little bit differently and says, gosh, I never really thought about it that way. It's always just worked for me. So it's the way I've done it. And once you get that moment, that's where I think we can introduce the solution of like, okay, well, have you ever considered when we do cold email, it allows you to do this, this, and this. So I think that was the thing I struggled with with for a really, really long time is I was so confident in the solution I was selling or my opinion in an internal meeting that I just ran to it way too quickly instead of stopping, getting them to agree that, hey, maybe the problem I believed I had actually is a little bit bigger than I, than I noticed. Like that. Yeah. And I, I love that example. And of course, resonate with it as a, a salesperson as well. And Liz too, but I, I do want to offer kind of a parallel non-sales example because yeah. I know we have a lot of our saucers are not, are not sellers. And I, this is why I actually just love sales so much because it is just so connected to like the psychology of how humans make decisions and why humans behave the way that we do. Um, And I just think of so many examples and relationships in our lives, whether it's with a partner, a spouse, a sibling, a parent, where you are not on the same page and you are not agreeing about something. And I think all of these tactics still apply, right? Rather than just continuing to be, this is my way, this is your way, that cat and dog fight, you know, taking a moment to get curious, seek to understand. And I think also acknowledge, hey, I hear where you're coming from and I I understand your perspective. I have a different one, right? And then you, again, kind of going back to that permission seeking, can we talk about my perspective as well? Um, I just, I love, and I really do think that so much of the kind of selling dynamics and how you learn to become an incredible salesperson parlays into just being a, a great human and, and being someone who can have really healthy relationships that you feel good about and, and boundary setting and um, all that. So I, I, I wanted to just highlight, like if you yeah. are listening and you are not a salesperson, this is absolutely a skill that transcends being that. Yeah. I mean, can I we talk I, about two? Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jen. No, I was just going to say, I, one of the big like light bulb moments I had in my career was when I was in um, uh, couples therapy in a previous relationship. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe the parallels that exist between right. work relationships and personal relationships. And one of the biggest things I learned there was like when you fight and one person wins and one person loses – that's a terrible outcome for the couple because mm. you don't want to have a winner and a loser. You get resentment. I, I view it as the same way inside of a business, in a sales conversation, with friendships. Like if there is a winner and a loser, everybody has lost because there is yeah. that feeling of I've lost. And that's Love not that a point. feeling you want to wake walk away with. Love oh. that. It's so good true. Money. Good um, money. Yeah. That is, thank you for sharing that with <laughs> all of us for free, Jen. <laughs> yeah. I would love to also just touch on, I mean, a a majority of our audience here are are women and, you know, kind of our um, core charter is empowering women. So why do you think, Jen, this not only is an important skill for everyone, but specifically for women to to lean into and really adopt in, in their lives? 
Yeah. I mean, we were chatting about this before we jumped on. I think in my career, um, I've worked on male-dominated teams. I've worked on teams that do have more women on them. I've been really fortunate to, to grow up with some really strong female leaders who've been mentors of mine. But one of the really unfortunate behaviors that I've seen is there's almost like a pendulum swing. So there's either the you know, it's not appropriate for me to speak up. So I'll wait my turn and maybe I'll send an email after the meeting and just like a reluctance to use one's voice. Or there's the pendulum swing that I see a lot of times when someone comes from a male-dominated organization, which is I've got to emulate what I believe is a very masculine characteristic of I'm going to pound my fist on the table and I'm going to tell everybody why I'm right and they're wrong. I think both of those things suck because we as women are so much more powerful than that, right? Like our superpower in many, many ways, and this is a generic statement, I hate making them, but I think it is largely our ability to look at a situation from multiple different angles, approach it with empathy, and be able to maintain a really calm point of view and perspective that doesn't require kicking a door down to make a point. But there's something about being in a business that I think really shuts those lights off a lot of times. So I think for me, it's, I don't think if you look at all the stats around women in leadership and, you know, women in sales and all these things, they're all depressing because I think we, we really dim our light a lot. And so for me, long way of saying it, I think it's really important to develop the ability to disagree respectfully in a way that wins you favor without putting someone else down. I mean, I love that, Jen. And I think that is so important. Sitting in many rooms with different people, you know, and figuring out a way, and I think it's something I'm still working on, is figuring out a way to respectfully um, disagree and being heard and, and being heard not as, oh, disagreeing again. Oh, of course, but truly listening yeah. to the why and like why I'm concerned about this. And I think all of us here are women um, in leadership or, you know, work with other people. And I think it's important to also help other women um, see see that. So that's something that I think I find is important too, that other women understand you should be able to speak up. And potentially there's a framework that will help you feel more confident as well as even be heard more. Yeah. Two things are coming up for me here. One, one of which we've already talked about on the sauce is this idea of wanting to be liked. And I think it is a, a, a normal, natural human response to want to be liked and to want to be accepted. I think women probably fall into that even more uh, just as a result of the, the gender stereotypes, if you will. But I think that there is this really kind of powerful, just, um, I don't know, almost like superpower that a, a woman can garner if she realizes you don't have to be liked. And I think especially in leadership, we talk about being trusted. We talk about being respected. We talk about, you know, um, people believing that you have their best interest, but being liked isn't actually the most important thing. And a lot of times, I think if we over-index on that, we are doing ourselves a disservice and our power um, a disservice. So I just, I, I think that if, you know, anyone here is thinking, gosh, I don't want to rock the boat and I don't want them yeah. to not like me and I don't want them to be upset with me. Stop. You don't need to undersell yourself. You don't need to devalue, you know, your worth. You don't have to be liked by others. I think we have to love ourselves and, and trust ourselves, but we want people to respect us and, you know, 
value us more than like us, I think. I, I mean, I will, I try to not say always and never, I try to stay away from absolutes, but I can confidently say I have never received a promotion, sold a seven-figure deal because I was freaking likable. I, I, yeah. Those things happen, to your point, because I was right. respected. Likeability is an outcome, in my opinion, of being respected. So instead of yes. focusing on being likable, focus on what makes someone want to raise my name in a room that I'm not in. What makes someone want mm-hmm. to say, hey, Jen, what's your take on this? It's not sitting there and nodding my head every time someone says something. It's having a, a point of view mm-hmm. and being able to deliver it in a way that's really powerful and compelling and not offensive. So I love, love, love the way you said that. Yeah. Oh, it's it's like so so much energy on this. I could yeah. spend the whole hour on. Yeah, but the way there's one other there's one other point too that I I think is an important one, and I feel like all of us probably have a view on, which is the the experience you shared about women maybe overcorrecting and coming across as this like almost masculine. Um, you know, again, kind of stereotype, but just that dominant and domineering and 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 harsh to a degree because they feel like that's the only way I'm going to be listened to. And that's the only way my voice is going to be heard. I actually think that one of the biggest risks I see with that as a path and a behavior is the women below you and, and the younger women watching you do that may feel like I could never do that. I, I can, Uh I, that isn't for me. I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. And I then in my head worry, we just are perpetuating this feeling of the the women can't be in these rooms and and part of these decisions because those looking up to you see you behaving in a way that they don't think represents them. And that feels like a big danger for me. Yeah. And I think we talk about nice and likability. And I think very much, Jen, I agree, being respected likability comes with that. And that might be being having to make tough decisions or having tough conversations. But Molly, to your point, I think you can still choose to be kind, be curious, and be respectful in your interactions. And that is where we, I don't want people listening to get confused that you need to come in with this, this tough, aggressive behavior. Because exactly, Molly, speaking specifically to women, maybe some women resonate with that. Sure. And that is who they are. But for a majority potentially see that they're like, that is not how I want to be. And again, Jen, you talk about the sad stats of women in leadership, et cetera. Is that helping set that stat that way when um, people feel like, do I have to be like that to, to rise the ranks or to grow my career? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's certainly like, and it's a tricky space to talk about, right? Because I don't want to say like, no women, no woman can be like that. You are who yeah. the hell you are, right? But I think what you're totally. both touching on that I really, really like, like hits me is just the need to play a part, right? And I think that is something when I entered into a team that was all men and two women, I felt that like, I don't play golf. I better friggin' learn how to play golf. Like I don't have these disgusting jokes and I better like, and I think, you know, that's one unique situation, but I think there was something that characterized a portion of my career where I felt like I had to play Mm. this role that I perceived was the role of success. And once I, I actually remember, um, I was in a, in a sales meeting with this woman at GE and 
I was so intimidated by her. She was like such a boss. And I was just like, oh gosh, what do I say? I showed up to that meeting and I did all the things I thought I should do to be professional and to gain respect. And she stopped me and was like, I'm curious, like, what do you actually think about this topic? And it completely caught me off guard because I was in my head, I was so deep in the actor role of like, well, I'm going to tell you why this is right and the way you're doing things are wrong. And she knew it. Like it was one of the most well-placed questions I've ever been asked. And I just sat there with like my mouth open. And she was like, and this is a moment that I want you to remember. You don't have to play this part. I can see you're playing. You Mm. seem smart. Just talk the way you normally talk. I guarantee you don't talk like this. And so her name was Sheila. Like I'll never forget Sheila. It really changed me because I was like, okay, I I can be true to myself. I don't have to play this role authenticity, authenticity is, you know, and no matter what role that you're in, especially speaking, speaking about, you know, careers and stuff, authenticity is key. And I think that's a very, very real point. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that this topic has been great to touch on. It's just good discussion. So Jen, (laughs) thank you for the passion in it. Bring it to light. Molly, I know you have a lot of passion around this as well. So I, um, and I do as well. I just sometimes taking it in, learning all of that. But um, Jen, I would love to shift because I think it would be remiss to not have a couple conversations with you around sales. As we mentioned in our intro, Jen um, has had a beautiful and long career in sales and just a, just like, dare we say, a, an expert. So we, ah. thought maybe, yeah, <laughs> we, um, we thought that maybe we would ask you a few, a few little sales tips before we go into a lightning round with you. So maybe we'll kick off. What do you have right now? Because over the years, it all changes. What are three solid prospecting tips you would give our audience when it comes to sales specifically? Mm, Okay. Number one, don't prioritize your territory by sexy brand names and where you think there's a lot of opportunity. So thinking behind that is when I was prospecting, I'd be like, oh, this company has a million sales reps. They're a perfect opportunity. Without giving any thought or consideration to what extent do they actually face the problem that we sell. So instead of doing that, Look at the problems that you actually solve for and then rank your territory based on the evidence you're able to find that that problem exists, which might mean you get companies that don't have hundreds of thousands of sales reps. If that's your person you're selling to, that's okay. So that's tip number one. Maybe a logo you don't know. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Um, Tip number two is do not send an email. Do not make a phone call. If you cannot articulate a point of view with evidence on why you believe this problem may be happening. So I think point of view development Mm. is arguably the single most important skill a seller can have today, which means I can look at a business and not just say, I think you're going to value our solution, but your CEO said this, your CFO said this, which led me to believe that maybe this is happening. And as a result, I've got something interesting to share. So that's number two, point of view. Um, And point three... So many. I'm going to pick one. Um, When you're prospecting, recognize that you've got three seconds to get an email opened and you've got nine seconds of read time. So I fell into the trap a lot of like writing these thesis statements for companies that I'd researched for two hours and I'm sure none of them got read. So really focus on brevity, clarity, and specificity when you're prospecting. To get the open, you've got three seconds. Make sure that preview text slaps. It's about them, not us. And then with the body of the email, make sure you're not sending a novel. Both things I've screwed up a lot in my career. Um, of course. I mean, yeah, I think all of us can test. Yes. <laughs> all of us. Good yeah. stuff, Jim. Yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Such good advice. And I love the the point of view development and, and a really important piece to, yeah, being trusted and being someone that people are willing to have a longer conversation with. So, so, so true and so smart. Should we talk, should we move to lightning round or we do, do we want to talk about what you're up to? What do you think? Oh, it's up yeah. to you guys. I'm here. Can I ask you one more, one more sales tip that I would love to, I think would be great for the audience. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, and then we're going to move into a shameless plug for you, Jen, is um, <laughs> when you, you know, when you hear Jen, I've had so many clothes lost, no decision, you know, like they're just not going to buy. Um, not right now. What do you feel that that is really going on there potentially? Um, we've fallen down in the upfront of the sale. Um, and specifically what I mean by that is we probably got happy ears. I know cause I did this all the time. We had one person who thought the problem that we were solving was really big and really was excited about the solution. And that made me believe that everybody in the business felt that. I think the number one reason we lose to no decision today is because, we don't actually have true consensus from all of the buying group members that this is a problem we're solving and this is a problem we're solving right now. Great. And the buying group members is getting larger and larger, especially right now. So, mm -hmm. okay. Jen, thank you for a little sales knowledge always. Yeah. And if you want more, this kind of takes into it. You can find it on Jen on your LinkedIn. I think the tips that you give, the, the vulnerability and authenticity that you show um, on LinkedIn is incredible. So, Let's go into, we want to make sure you get a, a platform <laughs> with our audience to do, uh, we call it a shameless plug, but um, is there anything that you want to let people know? We can just say, you've got to follow Jen on LinkedIn, but tell us a little about what you've got going on, what you're doing, and uh, we can make sure our audience knows where to find you. You're so sweet. Um, it, find me on LinkedIn. I freaking live there. Um, I just left Lavender, just left full-time work, going mm -hmm. off on my own. So Woo! I'm still in a bit Jen. of like figuring it out phase, but- my passion really is taking all the things I screwed up as a salesperson and teaching other people those mm -hmm. lessons. And so one of the things I spent a lot of time this year and last year doing is speaking at sales kickoffs and events and things like that to bring that. And it goes back to kind of what we were talking about as the topic of this episode. My style is not one to say like, you're doing it wrong and this is all the things you suck at. It is very much to say, this is what I used to believe and here's why that belief system misled me in sales. So that's that's my passion. That's what I'm spending a lot of my time doing is events and speaking engagements like that. Demand oh, love it. And Yeah. And just it's so uh, res respect and give you a ton of credit and admiration for going out on your own and doing what you love and following, you know, both your heart and it sounds like your your gut to take it, take it full time. It's it's Thank awesome. You. Thank Incredible. you. So you can find her on LinkedIn. Okay, well, we Jen can't let you out of here without a lightning round. That Let's is uh, every okay. guest on the sauce. We have to have <laughs> a lightning round. Rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. So what I'll kick us off. The the first one is what are some of your best tips on starting a or how to build a community or a following? Oh, don't build your own community. Go to other communities, be helpful, share useful information there. You don't need your own community to have a community. That's my mm -hmm. number one tip. Okay. I love that. Um, okay. Talk to us about, you were at Challenger Sales for about 18, 18 years and started out at CEB. Um, talk to us about how you got into all of that in 18 years. That's a long run. So let's, yeah. Any, a quick one or two lines on how you really learned the science of selling for 18 years. A great boss. 
full oh. stop. I, I went to CEB because I heard they had great happy hours and one of my college roommates was working there. Like I was not this person selling like lemonade stands and a total sales hustler my entire career. I went there because I thought it would be fun. And I had an incredible female boss. Her name was Jessie Dingwell. And from oh. day one, she held me to a standard of like, this is not a, this is not a playground. Like this is what I expect out of you. This is what good selling looks like. And the vast majority of what I learned came from her by, by far. Wow. I love that. Good boss. I know. Important. So, so, so important. Uh, what about any specific advice to women in tech other than what we have already covered on yeah. the topic of constructive tension? Yeah, I would say it, it kind of goes back to a little bit what we were talking about, but stop trying to play a part that you believe you need to play to be successful. Mm-hmm. I, I will even say in the last eight months, it's moving from challenger to Lavender has opened my eyes to how much we can get away with and how much more successful we can be when we just let our actual personality shine. Like I am doing the stupidest shit on the internet right now and I'm actually getting a lot of respect and business out of it because that's who I am. I'm not this super serious person. And I'm I'm learning that that actually is a way to really relate to people. So don't act a fool, but like we don't have to be this polished person that oftentimes it's portrayed to be. I love it. I love that so much. And authenticity is so, so important. Okay. All right, Lizzie, you asked the final one. Yeah, I'll ask one more and then while you can do it. Jen, we're what about what is your favorite Chicago restaurant? Oh, there's so many. I know. There's so many. You can give a top couple if you gotta throw them. No, I'll give you one because I'm I'm good at following the rules. Um, Bavette's. It's a steakhouse (gasps) in River North. It's the vibiest vibe. It's so good. Had many a bottle of wine there. So yes. Love it. Okay. Good to know. Okay, Mo, do you want to bring us home? I've been to Bavette. Yeah, and it's phenomenal, Jen. I have never been. Yeah. I have never (laughs) been. So I am adding it to my next Chicago trip. Yes. Uh, Final one. What is Jen's secret sauce? Mm. It is vulnerability. I was asked this question the other day on a podcast too. It is my ability to use vulnerability as a superpower and not a weakness. Meaning if you look at my content, if you hear me present – I talk a lot about all the ways I've screwed up. I was scared to do that at first because I thought people might perceive me as not credible, not respectable, all those things. What I've realized is that has been my superpower in being able to connect with people is not coming in and saying, I'm an expert, I know everything, and you know nothing, and listen to me, but rather, I've been in your shoes, this is all the stuff I've screwed up, and let me show you how I changed my thinking and and what that allowed me to do. That is the number one piece of feedback I get when I speak. Pretty gold. That's gold. That's awesome. And I, yeah, I mean, I know both Liz and I are very drawn to the vulnerability and the, and the authenticity that you constantly, you know, show up with. So, so thank Thank you. you. And thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and vulnerable, you know, learnings with us and the saucers. Really oh my gosh, it. thank you both for doing this, for having these types of conversations. I yeah. wish when I was coming up in sales, I had a podcast like this. This is all the stuff. I was lucky to have a great female manager who had these conversations, but a lot of women are not. So kudos to you both for doing this. It's such an important role that you play. Oh, Jen, thank you so much for your time, your advice, your wisdom, and your just your energy is wonderful. So <laughs> just really appreciate it. Great to great to see you and um saucers. We hope you took things today that you can grab a piece of that. Maybe it's vulnerability. Maybe it's showing your true authentic self. Remember, as you go into the workforce next week, be bold and continue to be bold.
be bold. And we always say, always eat dessert because you live once and why not? But we you will. Always got <laughs> you always got indulged. Thank Bavette, you so much. If you're in Chicago, go to Bavette's and eat dessert. And get a dessert. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Sauce Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our personal anecdotes and biz tips and tricks we shared today. If you wouldn't mind subscribing and or following the podcast on any platform or leaving a one-line review of the podcast, it helps us out tremendously. Thank you, thank you. Molly and I would also like to state that everything stated on this podcast is our own opinions and it's not shared on the behalf of others or on our employers. Thank you.